Thank you, worship team, for leading us in that time of worship through song. Now, please take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 11 as we continue worship through the Word. Let me say to you, um, in light of what Brock said a few moments ago, how blessed I am to be a part of this church family. One of the great joys and privileges of my life has been over these past 23 years to be the pastor of this church, to do life with you, to serve the Lord together, to see what all God has accomplished through this body of believers is really amazing. And I am absolutely convinced that our best days are yet to come. I really believe God has His, um, His best work ahead of us. And so we just need to be faithful to Him, obedient to Him, uh, very mindful of Him, and listen to His will, and, uh, and let's follow Him. Uh, as he continues to use us. But thank you for uh, just loving uh, our family for these past 23 years. I'm very, very grateful for this body of believers. I also want to ask you as we come together for prayer this morning before we open the word, uh, if we just remember Israel and the situation that's going on there with under attack from Hamas took place yesterday and then uh, maybe the possibility of another front kind of opening up from Lebanon also. And so we do want to just pray for that situation. So as we bow for prayer now, asking God to speak to us, we want to pray for that. So let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, how we need you, how great you are, how powerful you are. After singing that, Lord, just thinking about what it will be like one day when all the people of God are around your throne and we're crying, worthy, worthy is the Lamb. We're crying, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Lord, thank you for your redemptive work in our lives to reconcile us to you. And Lord, I think of what's taking place in our world. There's so many places in the world where there's just brokenness, there's turmoil, there's war. And I pray for uh, what's happening in Israel, and I pray for your protection there, for you to bring peace there. Lord, I think of um, one of my own pastor friends who's there with a group of people right now, sort of confined to their hotel. I pray for their protection, but we just ask you, Lord God, to, uh, to do your work there. And Father, now I pray that you would give to me the ability to communicate the Word of God. I am just so inadequate. I cannot do this without you. I need you to give me that clarity of mind, clarity of speech, liberty and delivery. I pray to preach with compassion with conviction, Lord, to preach, Lord, with convincing. I ask you, Lord, to open our minds and our hearts to hear what you have for us. I pray that you'll take away distractions, and I pray you'll speak to us. I pray today, Lord God, you'll also fuel our faith. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 13 through 22 is my text for today. We're studying through the book of Hebrews, and now we're in the most famous chapter in the book of Hebrews, that is Hebrews chapter 11. Such a poetic chapter as it lays out in rapid fire succession these great examples of the faith to encourage those early Christians. Those early Christians were under opposition and persecution and they were ethnic Jews that had believed on the Messiah and they had received the gospel, they were saved. And yet, because of the persecution and opposition they were facing, they were being tempted, as we've said many times through the series, to step back, to draw back away from following Jesus, maybe melt back into the Jewish community because at least they would have their ethnic group to help sort of be a comfort for them and they could relate to them. And so that was 
the temptation going on with them. And so what the writer of Hebrews is doing as the Holy Spirit inspired him is to encourage them to endure and stay faithful. Because he lays out this incredible case of how Jesus Christ is superior to the entire Jewish system. He is superior to angels. He is superior to Moses. He is superior to the law. He is superior to the tabernacle, the sacrificial system, the priesthood. He, he is superior to all of that. In the first three verses of chapter 1 in that great prologue of the book of Hebrews, he lists out several things there about the Lord Jesus. He starts out talking about the fact that he is heir of all things. He is creator of all things. He is the one who upholds and sustains all things. He is the glory of God. He is the expressed image of the person of God. He is the one who is our Savior, and He is sovereign because He sits at the right hand of the majesty on high. So He's laying this out to encourage them. And then after chapter 10, where He warns them about that willful sin, and we talked about the dangers of willful sin in that message there in, in chapter 10, beginning in verse 26 how the discipline of God can be severe against those who know better, and yet they choose to draw back, and they do not follow the Lord. They do not, they do not surrender to Him in, in deep obedience. And so because of that, the discipline of God can be very severe against those, and God does so it out of great love for His people, but that discipline is severe. Now, we'll get more into that in chapter 12. Then he gets to this Faith Hall of Fame, where he's encouraging them by past examples of faith, people that were living by faith. Last week I gave you five exhortations based on five examples that were given in the first few verses of chapter 11. And what I'm going to talk about today sort of summarizes that to a certain degree, but it gives us a couple of the major fruits of faith. Now let's remember that faith is... The reality of that for which we hope. Faith is the sure proof of things that are unseen. Faith is not a blind leap. Faith is not something that's completely unreasonable or illogical. Matter of fact, none of us have seen God. We have never seen a visible manifestation of God. Yet that does not mean it's unreasonable or illogical to believe in God. The evidence for His existence is all around us and in us. Anyone that has ever experienced true conversion in your life, you know nobody has to convince you of the reality of God. Nobody has to convince you of the reality of Jesus Christ because He's made you alive and you know it. You know the work that took place in your life could not be done by just making some kind of decision. Hey, I'm going to do a little resolution here and I'm going to turn over a new leaf and I'm going to live my life differently. There is no way that what happened in my life, for instance, could have happened under my own power. It was the power of the living Savior who changed me. So no one has to convince me of the reality of the Savior. No one has to convince me of the reality of God. Faith is our spiritual sight. Faith allows us to see things we cannot see physically. And so again, this writer, he's encouraging these early Christians. And you and I need this encouragement today because, listen, we're in a place and time where we're seeing an increase of opposition toward the things of God in our own country. We've had it really easy in the West for centuries, really, because it's been very... Uh, the, the West, and I'm talking about in, in, in Europe and in here, 
And there's been this acceptance of Christianity, this friendliness to Christianity shaped much of our culture for a number of years. Now, in other parts of the world, that's not been the case. Do you know there's brothers and sisters? I mean, they're redeemed just like us. In some parts of the world right now, that someone could roll up outside of their house at any moment, drag out the family and murder the family uh, in front of another family member and then take the life of the of the other family member. I mean, the whole family could be wiped out and killed simply because they know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Now let that sink in for a moment. Think about sometimes how, how weak our faith is and compared to our brothers and sisters in parts of the world. We're seeing an increase in opposition right now and what I'm seeing take place, I'm seeing leaders compromise, I'm seeing leaders cave, I'm seeing Christians embrace the culture instead of living courageously for Jesus Christ. The people of God need to be stirred in their faith. And I pray what we talk about today will do just that as we examine the fruits of faith. So look with me in your Bible, verse, beginning in verse 13 of chapter 11. Here's what the Word of God says. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which, also, from which he also received him in a figurative sense." By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning the things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and, Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. Now, the main idea of this message this morning is that the fruit of faith is a desire for God's heavenly kingdom and a devoted obedience to God. Two things that I want to talk about that are fruit of faith. Now, I pray these things will inspire you and strengthen you and encourage you and equip you, but I'll be quite honest with you, they may convict us. They may convict you as they convicted uh, me. And sometimes we need that conviction so that we change and we become more Christ-like. So let me show you these two things, these fruits of faith. The first thing I want you to see is that faith is demonstrated by a desire for the heavenly kingdom of God. Those who live by faith, who walk by faith, are those who are longing for the coming heavenly kingdom of God. Faith has an ultimate focus, and faith's ultimate focus is on God. It's a desire for Him. 
It's a desire to know him, be close to him, experience him, experience his best blessings. And when, when persons seek after God and they desire him, and what begins to happen within them is they desire the heavenly kingdom of God to come. It changes the whole way they, they live life when that takes place. There are two verses I keep quoting to you over and over in this series. They're found in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. I'd encourage you to put these two verses to memory because it's something we ought to think on quite often. And we can recite these verses thinking through them to help us keep our lives on track. But here's what these verses say. If then you were raised with Christ, that speaks of redemption, our conversion that happens. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. Where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Seek those things which are above. The word seek, remember, is an imperative. It's present tense verb, keep on seeking. The same can be said of the word set in verse 2. This is a major element to living by faith. And the reason that many people today do not seek after the kingdom of God is this simple. It's because they do not desire God. And so put yourself in that category today. Can you say right now you're living by faith and you're seeking after the heavenly kingdom of God? That's what you had to focus on that? Well, I'm telling you, if that's not our focus, then here's what I can say today. We're not seeking after and desiring God. Because when we seek after Him, that's going to be the result. We're going to have an eternal perspective on things. Things change when our desire is God. Our lives become focused on His kingdom. And the result of that is radical obedience to Him. Now, verse 13 says, these all died in faith. They lived by faith and they died in faith. That reminds me of what Paul said in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 21. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What he said is, when I'm going to live my life right here, it's going to all revolve around Jesus. I'm going to serve him. I'm going to live for him. I'm going to worship him. I'm going to make him known to others. And when I die, it's gain. That should be said of us. We're walking by faith. Now, this group did not die having received the fulfillment of these promises that God had given to them. Now, these all, this referred to in verse 13, could be a reference to everybody mentioned so far. Abel, and that can't be Enoch because he didn't die. Noah, but probably it's specifically focused in on Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, those who received these promises from God but did not see the fulfillment of them. They did not see the possession of the land by the people of Israel. They did not see the multitudes of Abraham's descendants. They did not see the birth of the nation Israel. They did not see the fulfillment of this promise that through Abraham, all the nations of the world would be blessed. And that's a reference to the Messiah, the Lord Jesus, and how he brings the hope of the gospel to the world. They did not see these things fulfilled, but they, but they embraced these promises. They saw through the eyes of faith the reality of these things. And the Word of God says here that they embraced them. That word embrace is an interesting word. It's a word that describes a traveler. And that traveler's been off for a while from his homeland, and he's coming home. And as he's coming home, he's a long way off still, but on the peak of a hill, he sees the city of his home, and he salutes it, 
It's like a traveler on a ship who would see on the shoreline the people that he's going to see and he begins to wave at them. I can see some of y'all right now. I look by there, I see Brother Mac. I can wave at him right now. I see Brother Mac. But, but I can't go talk to him right this second. I can't give him a hug right now. But I know, he, I know he's there. I know he's real. He exists. And so they didn't experience the fulfillment of those, those promises, but saw them through the eyes of faith. Now, those things have been fulfilled uh, since that time. Now, we've seen jo- the book of Joshua tells us how the people of Israel went into that land that was promised. We've seen, and we even see today, even, the multitudes of descendants of Abraham. And we see where the nation of Israel was established. We have seen where that promise, how all the nations of the world have been blessed through Abraham. That is, the Messiah came, and and many people have responded to the gospel of Jesus all over the world. But what you and I are waiting on now is the return of our Lord to establish His kingdom. And the way we live right now is reflective of the anticipation of that coming kingdom. The Word of God tells us that the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're longing and looking for His coming. That's why the Lord taught His disciples on that most famous sermon the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, he said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And so we learn what people of faith look like, and those people of faith who desire the heavenly kingdom of God, there's some things that sort of build up to that that we see here in these verses. So look with me first. If we're going to be people that walk by faith and we long for the heavenly kingdom of God, then the first thing we do is we embrace the promises of God as they did in verse 13. We must embrace the promises of God. Now, what I know is this this morning. I don't know a whole lot, but I know this. Jesus is coming again. He is coming. We can count on that. Could be at any time. The first century church were taught to live in such a way to expect the Lord at any moment. An imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ. The scripture teaches us. He's coming. And we should be living in light of that. Now we don't see that realized yet. But we embrace it as the absolute truth because it has come from our Lord. It has been predicted over and over. And we are to embrace that. And the people of God, as we embrace the promises of God, it, it, it changes how we live. And we know that when He comes, one day we'll stand before Him and we're going to give an account for how we've lived this life, how we've used our time and resources for His glory. And we'll stand before Him and give an account for that. And our, our faithfulness will be rewarded. And some will lose reward because of their unfaithfulness to use their time wisely for His glory. But Colossians chapter 3, verse 24 and 25 say this, Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. So what we do as people of faith is we embrace the promises of God. But I want to show you a second step here in verse 13, and that is 
that we must live as pilgrims in this world. If we embrace the promises of God and we're converted, then we live while we're here on this earth as strangers, sojourners, pilgrims. What that means is we don't belong here. We're not citizens of the world. That reminds me of what Paul wrote to the Philippian church in Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 17. Here's what he wrote. Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly. That means their God that drives them along. Their idol is their own desires and whose glory is in their shame who set their mind on earthly things. Now, isn't that the opposite of what we're called to do? Then he goes on to say in verse 20, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to His glorious body, according to the working by which He is able even to subdue all things to Himself. That last phrase speaks of his power and ability to do anything he desires to do within his will. Peter said it this way in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that means the lost, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. We're supposed to be living in such a way as citizens of the kingdom of heaven that our lifestyle is evangelistic. It even draws people to Christ. Now, we're to verbalize the gospel also, but we're to live in such a way that it attracts people and draws people to Christ. Now, there's a problem in the church of Jesus Christ today. Because the Bible teaches us that if we desire God, uh, then we're going to desire His kingdom, and we're not going to live worldly. But here's something else that I know. There's a whole lot of professing Christians these days that live like they belong to this world. They live like card-carrying members of this world and not the citizens of heaven that we're told we are to be if we have come to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And when persons begin to live like everybody else in the world around them, there's one of two reasons why they do that. First reason is because many of those who are professing to be believers, maybe they are not. And the reason there is such inconsistency in their lives is because they truly do not even know the Lord. Well, they went through the motions at some time, uh, maybe in a, in a church, and they prayed some prayer, and they were baptized, and, and yet there was never a change that happened in their lives. There, there was no real change that happened. And so consistently, ever since that time, there has been a consistent lifestyle just like everybody else in the world. And if the Lord Jesus were to return right now, those individuals would be carried off to judgment. They, they would be left, and they would not be with the Lord because they have never called on Jesus to be their Lord and Savior. And that's one reason why that there's such inconsistency among professing believers. But a second reason is this, and it happens sometimes because of lack of discipleship or whatever, but here's a second reason why some are living like citizens of the world and not citizens of the kingdom of heaven. It's simply because they do not desire God. 
They do not desire God. And, and, and this is why we so tenaciously pursue sin so often, because we love that more than God. We desire that more than God. But the Word of God says, draw near. That means draw near to Him. John, I mean, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22. James 4, 8 says, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. People who are citizens of the kingdom of heaven should be living like pilgrims here on this earth. We're just passing through. This is not our permanent home. We, we don't look and act like those who have this as their, as their home. You know, if somebody comes to our country, um, you can tell by the way they talk and their customs they have that they're not from here. Well, that's true about different areas of our own country. Uh, my um, my uh, daughter and son-in-law, Savannah and Taylor, they live in upstate New York. And they were at um, Walmart. I think it was Walmart. And so they were talking, you know, and the, a Walmart worker says, now, where are you guys from? And they said, well, we're from the panhandle of Florida. Oh, really? What town? Well, you're not going to know where it is. Where is it? Chipley. We're from Chipley, Florida. And um, she said, I know exactly where that is. I'm from Pensacola. So she could tell by their dialect that there are people from her homeland. We ought to act and talk and do like people who are headed to a glorious, eternal homeland. We're citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And when we embrace the promises of God and we live as pilgrims on this earth, then here's what happens, verse 14 through 16, we seek a better homeland. The promises of God for us, we experience many of them here, but the bulk of them and the best is yet to come for us in the, experiencing the fulfillments of, of, of God's promises to us. Verse 14, when you think yourself a pilgrim here on this earth, just passing through, it means that you seek a homeland. That word seek there is a present tense verb. You keep on seeking that. Now, Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob... They, it wasn't that they just wanted to go back to their own homeland that they came out of, that uh, Abraham and Sarah came out of, because verse 15 says they had plenty of opportunities to go back and do that if that's what they were after. But they were seeking, verse 16 says, they were desiring a better heavenly country. That word desire there is an interesting word. It's used also in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1. Uh, to refer to the call of people to be a pastor or overseer or bishop. The Word of God says there in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1, he who desires the office of overseer desires a good thing. It's two different words for desire. The first one means to stretch out. The same word that's used here in Hebrews. You're stretching towards something. So if you're stretching towards something, that's that word desire there. Uh, you desire a good thing. It mean, that's the inward desire. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. What it's talking about here is that we're, we're stretching out toward a better homeland. Notice what the Word of God says. It's better. That, that homeland is better than the one we have here uh, on this earth. People of faith 
They desire a greater eternal kingdom. Now, they know they don't belong to this earth. That's why it's a little bit easier sometimes we're not living our best life now because we know our best life is not now. <laughs> it's yet future. And if your best life is now, you're in trouble. You know that? You're in serious trouble if your best life is now. My best life is not now. It's, to, it's yet to come. It, it's coming in the future. And people who are not living by faith or people that are consumed with trying to have the best experiences they possibly can now and fitting in with the culture and laying up treasure here on this earth. And that's not for the people of God. Why is it that so many Christians are so consumed with just the experiences they can have here and laying up treasures here? I mean, we do that. I mean, we rent storage facilities so we can store all of our treasures. <laughs> People of faith begin to lay up treasure in heaven. As the Lord Jesus taught us to in Matthew chapter 6, verse 20 and 21. People of faith, they want to take as many people with them as possible into this kingdom uh, of heaven. I had the honor of speaking at Miss Edwina Showers' uh, funeral service Friday afternoon. And here's a testimony that Yvette... Uh, her youngest daughter said to me about her mom. Now, any, any of you who knew Miss Edwina, she was always, always had a smile on her face, always so pleasant when you talked with her. But here's what they said about her. She had such a care for people. She wanted to care for people, but she did not simply want to meet just a physical need in their life and then leave it at that. She wanted them to know their greatest need in life can only be met by Jesus. She lived a consistent life. She verbally witnessed for Christ because she knew that Jesus is enough. She wanted as many people to be in the eternal kingdom with her as possible. And, and when you're seeking after that, uh, that homeland, that's, that's the way we are. Do you know one day we're going to be with the Lord and there's not going to be any more opposition to the things of God, no more persecution for the people of God, no more sin to deal with, no more evil to deal with, no more heartaches, no more tribulations, no more troubles, no more burdens, because we will be with the Lord. We will worship Him with perfection. We will fellowship with one another without hurt, without any emotional scars we will fellowship with such joy and do you know the word of God teaches us we should be living as closely right now as we're going to live one day in the eternal kingdom that's what we're called to do we have much to look forward to you know I I long for the coming of the Lord we don't talk much about it in the church today don't know why but just in general you don't talk much about it but but we should be looking for and longing for the coming of the Lord. And one day He's going to come. And He's going to take us to be with Him. If we're not alive when the Lord Jesus returns, then we die. We arrive immediately in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can be assured of this. He will reward the faithfulness of His people. And that's why even when we face hardships on this earth, and many of you probably heard me tell the story several times about uh, when my own mother left this world and all of our family was gathered around her and she took that last breath and I checked for a pulse and there was none and I wept we all wept but we were not weeping for her we were weeping for ourselves because of this temporary separation but at the, at 
the same time, there was an overwhelming, prevailing peace that flooded my heart. And you know why? And, and it happened to every one of us because every one of us knew this. She just left to be in the presence of the Lord. And we know where she is right now. And we know one day there's a reunion coming for us who know the Lord. See, those who live by faith, they desire the heavenly kingdom of God. And I want you to notice in verse 16 two things uh, that, that show God's response to this. First, he is not ashamed of those. He's not ashamed of those who are looking for a heavenly home. Well, that, that means that he is ashamed of some. <laughs> who is he ashamed of? Well, those who are ashamed of him. Mark chapter 8, verse 38 says, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Those who are walking by faith, he is not ashamed of them. Secondly, notice this, he has prepared a city for them. There's a prepared place for a prepared people. Reminds me of what our Lord said in John chapter 14, verse 1 and 2, in my Father's house are many mansions or dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. What we see in this text is that those who walk by faith are those who have a desire for the heavenly kingdom of God. But secondly, I want you to notice this. A second fruit of faith, and that is that faith is demonstrated by devoted obedience to God, verses 17 through 22. Now, when one has embraced the promises of God uh, and they know that the one who promised is faithful and they're focused on the kingdom of God, then radical obedience follows. Y'all get that? Now, the writer of Hebrews returns to a, an example that he just mentioned a few verses prior to this. He, he talks about Abraham. And he recalls a great example of faith that Abraham uh, exhibited. Genesis chapter 22, the Word of God says that God called Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac on Mount Moriah. Now, can you imagine how conflicting that must have been for Abraham? Because, see, for Abraham, God had told him that he was going to fulfill his promises through Isaac. Now God's saying, go and sacrifice him. But Abraham being a man of faith, trusted God. As a matter of fact, the writer of Hebrews even tells us that Abraham so trusted God in, in being able to fulfill his promises and also uh, him go and do what God just told him to do, that if it was necessary, God would even raise Isaac from the dead. So Abraham took Isaac and headed out to Moriah and they got there. Isaac laid on the altar. Abraham raised up the knife and the angel of the Lord said, stop. 
For now I know that you fear me because of you have not withheld your son from me. In verse 12 of that chapter. And there was a ram caught up in a thicket. Thank God for his provision. Amen. And they sacrificed that, that lamb. When Abraham left his homeland, he was committing his past to God. When he raised up that knife, he was committing his future to God. What kind of faith would lead a 90-year-old woman and a 100-year-old man to build a crib and then also raise a knife above their most treasured possession? It is devoted obedience of pleasing faith. Let me ask us a question. Where does our faith register when we start talking about pleasing faith? Where, where does our faith register? I mean, our, our faith will not even get us out of bed on a Sunday morning many times to gather for church, to gather to worship the Lord and magnify Him. Now, we'll get up to go to work. We'll get up to go hunting. We'll get up to go shopping. We'll get up to go with kids' activities and do all these things and this and that. And then when it comes Sunday morning, I'm just going to stay home. I mean, what kind of faith is that? Will not move us out of bed to come and gather with the people of God and do what God has called us to do. What, what kind of faith is it when our faith will not move us to let go of grudges and unforgiveness? What kind of faith will not move us to give of ourselves to God and serve Him because we're too busy with our own agendas? Sometimes our, our faith won't move us to give financially to God's kingdom work, but maybe a, apart from a few scraps, we'll throw His way because we're too busy consumed with spending on self and trying to have the experience that we want to experience right now. Our faith sometimes will not move us to pursue a biblical love for people and really learn what that looks like. Our faith will not move us to answer God's call upon our lives. Our faith will sometimes not even move us to put to death deviant sexual desires, to humble ourselves and submit to God's design for sexuality. The people of God who live by faith should be living in radical obedience to God. And what should be on our mindset every day is what does God desire for me to do? Well, I will find out here and live it out each day, desiring a heavenly homeland, living in light of the fact we don't belong here, we belong to a much better place. And so we live in light of that right now. The Word of God goes on to say as this chapter is closed out that Isaac's faith was moved to accept God's will over his own when it came to blessing Jacob over Esau. And when he recognized what had happened in that situation, he shook, trembled in fear at what had taken place. Jacob was moved to do something very unusual. Jacob was moved to when he was blessing Joseph's sons to bless the younger above the older. He blessed Ephraim over Manasseh because it was the will of God. 
Joseph was so committed to the promises of God that when he was dying, he made the sons of Israel promise this. When God brings us out of Egypt, then you take my body and bury it in the promised land. 400 years, his unburied body would be a reminder that one of these days, God is going to take the people of Israel out of Egypt. He was a man committed to the promises of God. The people of God, walking by faith, are people who desire the heavenly kingdom of God, and we're involved in devoted obedience to God. Let me close with these application points. First, listen now. Don't pack up just yet. We ought to desire God and subsequently a heavenly kingdom. Pursue Him. Pursue Him in the Word of God. Pursue Him in prayer. Pursue Him in worship. And as you keep doing that, what will happen in your life is you'll begin to grow in a knowledge of God, a closeness to God, and you'll begin to recognize there's nothing this world has to offer that can compare with what you have in God. Desire Him. It's going to mean we've got to work at it at times. Listen, we naturally drift toward disobedience and our fleshly desires and the allurements of the world. We intentionally pursue God. Piper said that the great battle for faith is not at the level of behavior, it is at the level of desire. Second thing we need to do is this. Live like you don't belong to this world. Live like you don't belong here. You have another home. You're passing through. You're a pilgrim in this world. Let people notice there's something different about you. I'm not talking about being weirdos. I'm just talking about live for Jesus. Now, they're going to think you're a weirdo sometimes if you live for Jesus, but just live for Him. Third thing is lay up treasure in heaven through a life of obedience. Lay up treasure in heaven. The Hebrew Christians in chapter 10, verse 34 they had already had some of their possessions taken away. You know what the Lord Jesus taught us to do? I referred to it earlier, Matthew 6, 20 and 21, lay up treasure in heaven because rust and moth won't mess with it up there. It won't, it won't uh, corrode and pass away and decay like our inheritance will here. But he also said where thieves can't break in and steal. Nobody takes away those eternal rewards that are to come. Lay up treasure in heaven with an obedient life. Fourth, live with radical obedience. Obey God every day. When there's a question about something, what we ought to think is, well, what would God desire for me to do? Let's search His Word and find out what He wants me to do. How am I going to respond to this situation? Now, for some here today and some online listening to us, the big thing for you today, the big takeaway for you has been this. You just have come to this realization. You are not saved. You don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And what you can do right now is you can call on Jesus to be your Savior. Do you believe that your sin has separated you from, from God and you need to be reconciled to Him? 
Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? He's God the Son, and He came and lived a perfect life, and He died on a cross, and He was resurrected. He did all of that to atone for sin. Are you willing today to turn from your sin and surrender your life to Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, and He'll take your sin away, He'll make you righteous, He'll make you a son or daughter of God? Will you do that today? You can do it right now where you are. Lord, I, I'm calling on Jesus to be my Savior. I'd love to have one of our folks talk to you about that. And as we stand to sing in a minute, you can come to me up front here and say, I need Jesus as my Savior. The altar's open for us to come and pray. Maybe God's convicted us in some areas. Maybe we need to confess that to Him and, and just commit to live a life of, of faith that's indicated by our focus on the eternal kingdom and that is characterized by radical obedience to Him. Maybe some need to unite with this church and you want to come today and do that. I'll be, I'll be right here. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you, Lord, for the Word of God. Thank you for giving us your truth. I pray today, Lord, you've used this to speak to all of us, Lord. May it lead to our sanctification. May it lead to our equipping. Lord, may it lead to us being strengthened. May it lead us to confess today. And I pray for those who need to be saved. May the Spirit of God make it so clear. And I pray there'll be no resistance but surrender. And I pray today that they'll be born again. So Lord, come and work among us. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's stand, please.